Hi everyone, I'm Gary Nall. We have a wonderful show lined up for you, and we're going to share insights and information you did not know that I can promise you. But we begin with something that's important for our health. From the University of Otago, which is in New Zealand, two kiwis a day can significantly boost your mood in just four days. Just Look at the how easy and expensive it is to take a couple kiwis, golden kiwis I recommend, throw them into a smoothie. All right? Here's what they can do. Based upon the chemicals in there, the phytochemicals, they can enhance your mood, improve your energy, and create an overall sense of well-being. That's what this research has shown, combining the latest technology with natural nutrition. Researchers from the University of Otago in New Zealand aimed to determine the speed of mood improvement following consumption of vitamin C supplements or whole food sources like kiwi. It was an eight-week study. And they found out that if you have low vitamin C levels, you have a low mood, a lot of problems. But if you have vitamin C or you take two kiwis a day, then everything improves, your whole sense of well-being. And that's important. So just make sure you're getting vitamin C every day. I suggest five times a day because depending upon how deficient you are or what illnesses you have, the body will use the vitamin C very quickly. And vitamin C is the one nutrient, well, alpha-lipoic acid and vitamin E, tocotrienols also, that grab onto free radicals, inflammatory markers, and neutralize them and therefore live a longer life because your cells are going to be healthier longer. From New York University School of Medicine and Harvard School of Public Health, a plant-based diet is shown to improve sexual health in men, treated for prostate cancer. Now, I'll separate prostate cancer for a moment, and you start looking at what are some of the major causes. Well, how about alcohol in any amount, meat-based diet, and uh, sugar, all bad, and dairy, all bad for your prostate. But then a healthy plant-based diet is just the opposite. Increases circulation, including overcoming, in many cases, erectile dysfunction and urinary incontinence and other common side effects seen in prostate cancer patients. So this is important. Something as simple as a healthy plant-based diet. They didn't even get into juicing. They didn't talk about Africanum pygium, salt palmetto, genistein, and other nutrients we know make a difference in helping shrink a prostate gland that's been enlarged and get it back to health. So just letting you know, more and more research is being done showing how important this is. Now, from the University of Notre Dame, modern parenting may hinder brain development. What do I mean? Look at all the different social practices and cultural beliefs of modern life. No longer is the nuclear family important. No longer is it necessary, in fact, it's actually frowned upon and denigrated to have two parents. No longer is it important to breastfeed. No, no longer is it important to spend quality time during the various stages of your child's development. Now, to the contrary. We've become very 
abstract in the idea of what it is to be a parent. Some parents, like helicopter moms and soccer moms, they expect to be a friend of their daughter or son. That's a bad idea. And as a result, the kind of insights that a child needs in development are not there. They're missing. What possibly could be the outcome, especially in those parents that don't have time for their child because their careers are more important? And always with the justification, look, if I work harder, if I work more hours, if I see more patients, or if I make better deals on Wall Street, then you'll have a standard of living that is really nice. But the child grows up thinking, I didn't need to have you buy love because you weren't giving me unconditional love. I needed guidance. I needed to know the nature of things. And I didn't, I didn't learn this. And that's true with Americans. I'll give you one quick story. Back in the 1970s, I was a research scientist at the Institute of Applied Biology, but right across the street was Trafalgar Hospital, and they had a drug interdiction program. You either go to Rikers Island, not good, or you go into a recovery program. And probably 90% of the young people in there were coming from affluent families. And one day, there was this one person who had had two near-death experiences by overdosing in the previous three months. So I asked her, why are you doing this? You know how dangerous it is. You know you could kill yourself. Her answer was this. This is one of those clarion calls. She said, I want to die. Why do you want to die? So I asked the other people in the room, does anyone else in there want to die? Two people raised their hand out of 22. And I said, why? She said, because then I know that my mom and dad will spend the rest of their life having to live with the guilt and shame of figuring out why I died. Because they weren't there when I needed them. One's a lawyer, one's a medical doctor. And we never had a close family. I, they were missing from my life. Yeah, they could afford tutors and nannies and that's not what a child needs. And uh, as a result, I knew no boundaries. I didn't know how people, they yelled a lot, screamed a lot, or on the phone yelling. And so I thought that was normal. So my friends and I, who came from similar backgrounds, we just, we had no boundaries. What we would say, what we would do. And I'm just miserable. Okay, I brought the parents in, and they were kind of shocked at the fact that their daughter was telling him for the first time that she wanted to kill herself. Another person had cuts, cutting. They would take a razor blade and cut the inside of their thighs. You couldn't see it if they had a dress on because it was in the upper part, but there were hundreds of cuts. Self-mutilation, another sense of low self-esteem and contempt for life. So when you're thinking about having a child, First, ask yourself how capable of you are to be a really good parent. And if you're a modern parent, not good. Because look at modern parents giving their kids cell phones when they're three years old and laptops and when they're young and sending them to private schools or boarding schools and uh, letting them spend all the time they want on the Internet. 
If they don't like math, then math, don't take math. If you don't like English, don't, don't take English. There's no boundaries. And we see the effect of that in those, and by the way, this is not a condemnation about all young people at all, but for those that did not have proper parenting, you're not going to have a properly developed child. It would be a rare exception for a child to learn all the rules of life on their own or through their peers. So that's what this study showed. So when a mother breastfeeds for two years and is there to look when the baby smiles and you smile back and giving hugs and kisses and keeping your voice calm and low-key, not screaming, remember everything that you say and do the child's going to absorb like a sponge into the epigenetic DNA, and then they're going to react later in life to that. So just be conscious of that. And why? Because we've shown that when you're giving lots of nurturing, when you're really caring for your child or children or baby, that's similar to what the ancestral parenting practices were about, positively impacting the developing brain, which not only shapes personality, but also helps physical health and moral development. Studies show that responding to a baby's needs uh, and not saying, well, let the baby cry out, that's just wrong. It's been shown to influence the development of conscious, positive touch, affects stress reactivity, impulse control and empathy, free play in nature, influences social capacities and aggression, and a set of supportive caregivers beyond the mother which we've historically had, aunts, uncles, grandparents, they all were part of that nurturing factor. And in many societies, like the Latino society, so is today, and the Italian society, the Spanish society, uh, and the French society, not in America. You know, we've pretty much, we've pretty much created a, uh, a negative impression of what it is if you're using older parenting practices, even though they worked. Because when I was growing up, I don't know about you, nobody committed suicide, nobody cut themselves, nobody had ADD and ADHD, nobody had autism. No, those are all our own creations, our own monsters to deal with today. And just remember, when you're giving love and kindness and laughter and joy, when you're dancing and singing and creating the right brain, also governs that and self-regulation and creativity and empathy. And it continues to mature throughout your entire life. So if you want to have a better way of dealing with the crisis we're going to face, nurture the right brain because it'll help you a lot. And finally, from China Medical University in Taiwan, acupuncture may curb heightened risk of stroke associated with rheumatoid arthritis. A course of acupuncture, which generally three to six sessions, they're not expensive, generally around 100, 125 bucks, will help heighten the risk, uh, lower the risk of, ac of stroke, especially if you have arthritis. This was published in the British Medical Journal Open. I believe that we should be doing acupuncture preventatively. I believe we should do chiropractic once a month preventatively. Acupuncture the same. It helps reduce pain. It helps open up energy fields in the body. 
is a phenomenally important non-invasive therapy. That's the latest on health and healing. We're going to take a break and come right back. We have a very empowering program today. And don't forget, for those of you who'd like to get five days a week, early in the morning, the latest articles and all the information I share on my daily radio programs and recipes and invitations for free to attend webinars, you can get that. Or if you just want to get it one day a week, you can do that as well. One day a week is free. The other is a tiny charge. And, uh, but it's a public service. It's really important. Go to GaryAndAll.com and look under Gary's. There will be a little flashing light. Gary's newsletter. It's filled with everything in health you could imagine. It's very empowering. All right? I want to keep you up to date on everything. Back in a moment. Please stay with us. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Nall. We're going to play two clips today that are very important. Whatever position you have, please listen to them by first going in an emotional state to neutral. You could agree or disagree, but I find a lot of truth in them. Even though I disagree with the people on a political level, here's what the clip's going to tell you. Tucker Carlson is challenging the idea of continuing to support with $60 billion of taxpayer money, the Ukraine war. The war is lost. It should never have occurred. The United States has talked about how they're not going to stop this war until every last drop of blood from Ukrainians are drained. Yeah. If you look for the whole truth in this, you'll see that we caused all this. Now, where's that money going to go? We don't know. How much has been stolen? Like in Afghanistan, where an entire $5 billion in cash was stolen. We don't know. What about the Phantom Soldiers, where generals were receiving thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars per week for soldiers that were Phantom Soldiers? They didn't exist. Anyone pay back the money? No. How about in Iraq? Billions lost. No. So you start to realize that our government doesn't care what happens to the money because we're paying for it. Not a single dollar in our national budget is actually from savings. Everything is borrowed, creating more debt. And yet we don't seem to think that's important even though we have $330 trillion in debt. We're the most indebted nation in world history. doesn't matter. Well, what's that money going to do? Well, it's going to go into a lot of it in the pockets of people who banned religions, banned freedom of, uh, of choice. No one's allowed to vote in an election if Zelensky doesn't like the party and he's banned all of his competition. Well, then how is that protecting democracy? There is no democracy. It's dictatorial. It doesn't matter. The deep state has this agenda. That's who created the coup in 2014 that led to over twelve to 14,000 Russian, uh, Russian-speaking Ukrainian citizens living in the Donbass area. Wow. If we only knew the truth, we would take different approaches. That's one clip. And the other clip, and both Republicans and Democrats support this nonsense because they all get money from the military-industrial complex. But the other one is Dr. Rand Paul. He has a different take on this. 
And I think you will find what he has to say of interest. Let's go to these two clips. We're going to go to them back to back. And then you can call in and share your points of view. Our talkback number is 888-874-4888. It became very clear to anyone paying attention several months ago that Ukraine cannot win its war against Russia. The Ukrainian military will not be able, even with Western backing hundreds of billions of dollars of it, to expel the Russian military from parts of eastern Ukraine. Ukraine doesn't have the industrial capacity, neither does NATO or the United States, and it doesn't have the people. Russia has 100 million more in population than Ukraine does. And that means that further support from the West for the Ukrainian military only means more dead Ukrainians and a further degraded Western economy in the U.S. and in Germany particularly. So it's not simply a fool's errand, it's self-destruction. It's insane, it's cruel, it's abetting the killing of an entire generation of Ukrainians. This is very obvious, no honest person at this point will deny it. And yet somehow the United States Senate, which is always several years behind reality and its perceptions, just a few weeks ago, decided to send another $60 billion to the Ukrainian government, which is both corrupt and authoritarian. They've canceled elections, they banned an entire Christian denomination, and then they killed an American journalist for noting any of this. And yet, the United States Senate proposed under Mitch McConnell a plan to send another $60 billion to Ukraine. Well, imagine the surprise of all rational people around the world to wake up this morning and discover this could actually happen. And so with that in mind, we thought it'd be worth talking to one of the very few Republican senators who's bothered to make the counter case. And that would be J.D. Vance of Ohio, who joins us now from the United States. Senator, thanks so much for coming on. If you wouldn't mind telling us where this legislation is right now, what you expect to happen and what you think should happen. Yeah, Tucker, so there are two big things that will happen here. So tonight we will clear a major procedural vote or we won't. So this is really the best opportunity tonight to kill this legislation. Encourage everybody to do everything that they can, contact everyone they can to ensure that we actually do kill the legislation. It is very close. Uh, The Democrats have banded together with 17 Republicans. We only need eight of those Republicans to flip their vote to kill this thing. And I think that we'll get at least one uh, who will in fact flip their vote. So that, that that's where it sits in the Senate. The second thing, and frankly, the best opportunity we have to kill this is in the House. Uh, and that's part of what I'm trying to do is notify people about how bad this legislation is so that after it clears the Senate, if it does, then it goes to the House and the House has a real opportunity to at least make it better, uh, but hopefully kill it. And I want to say just just a couple of things here, Tucker, that are extremely important to know about this legislation. Number one is that it sends $61 billion to Ukraine to fund, as you said, a hopeless war in Eastern Europe that will decimate the Ukrainian population even more than it's already been decimated. So it's a terrible, terrible piece of legislation on the policy. The second thing I want to say, Tucker, though, is that it doesn't just fund Ukraine in 2024. And this is the most important point. It actually funds Ukraine in 25 and 26. Now, what's the problem with that? Say, for example, that we have a new president in 2025. That president would be handcuffed by the promises that we are making in law to Ukraine today. If you go back to to 2019, Tucker, to try to give you a sense of why this matters. In 2019, the U.S. House impeached then-President Donald Trump on the theory that they had appropriated money to Ukraine and Donald Trump refused to send it to Ukraine. So if Trump is elected president again and become president on January of 2025, 
he will conduct diplomacy. And if that diplomacy does not include sending additional billions to Ukraine, there is a theoretical argument, a predicate, if you will, for impeaching Donald Trump because they have tried to tie his hands. And the final point I'll make on this, Tucker, is that the Washington Post has already has already said, based on leaks from inside the intel community, the purpose of this legislation is to tie a future President Trump's hands. We're not just sending billions to Ukraine in 2024. We're trying to make it impossible for the next president to conduct diplomacy on his terms. It's anti-democratic, and it will lead to endless war in the, all over the world. So uh, the political calculation behind this seems incredibly dark. So does the humanitarian effect. I noticed that no one on Capitol Hill seems interested in finding out how many have died in this war. Reliable estimates in the area, these are not partisan, uh, are that about 400,000 Ukrainians have died. That's about as many Americans as died in the entire Second World War over the entire duration. And it's, of course, a much smaller country. So how do senators, Republican senators, get away with saying we're doing this on behalf of the Ukrainian people, on behalf of democracy, when it's destroying an entire generation and it's not a democracy. Like, what's the thinking here? Well, Tucker, they bought into the propaganda that what is in the best interest of Ukraine is to prolong this war. And so Zelensky comes to Washington. You know, he's tougher than a lot of them are. And I think they get, uh, you know, a, a little bit of excitement from that. And Zelensky tells them a story that his war is in the best interest of the whole of Ukraine. Now, never mind that there are people within Ukraine protesting the draft. Never mind that the average age of a soldier there is pushing 45 years old. And never mind that the 650,000 wealthiest Ukrainians left the country at the beginning of the war. Uh, they didn't stay and fight. So the idea that this is unanimously supported by the Ukrainian population is, of course, preposterous and absurd. No one believes it. But, but here's, here's the really crazy, and I, and I think ultimately the very cynical thing that's going on, Tucker, is that everyone knows that this war will lead to the destruction of Ukraine. I've had conversations with Democratic colleagues where they get this sort of dark look in their eyes and they say effectively that they want to fight Russia to the last Ukrainian drop of blood. I, I, I think if you really ask these guys, they recognize that this is not in the best interest of Ukraine. Uh, this is fundamentally in the interests of military contractors and people who think that America's most pressing challenge is to defeat the Russians. Of course, that's not a preoccupation that I share. I don't think Russia should have invaded Tucker, but I also think that we got to be much more focused on more pressing problems like the demographic collapse of the United States, like the open borders and like that's what's right. going on in East Asia. So it's a massive campaign, Tucker, to distract people from the real problems in the world and the real problems that exist in this country. And underlying it all, as you just said, is is an impulse that's that's indefensible and I think deeply immoral. Um, so I, I'm so grateful for you having the courage to talk about this in public. And I and I hope common sense in your position prevails. Senator J.D. Vance of Ohio. Thank you. Often the titles of bills before the legislature don't really represent what the bill stands for. The title of this bill should say. Ukraine first, America last, because that's what this is really about. Now, bills in the legislature, bills that come before the Senate, don't have pictures or covers on them like a book would have or a magazine. But if this bill had an image or a cover on the front of the bill, the image would be the migrant in New York who assaulted a police officer, was freed from jail on no bail, 
and gave the middle finger of both hands to America. That's what this bill is. It's the middle finger to America. This bill is the middle finger to every working man and woman in America, every struggling American family. This bill gives them the middle finger and says, we don't care about you. We care more about Ukraine than we care about our southern border. We don't seem to care, or these Ukraine firsters don't seem to care about the crime that's happening. They don't seem to care about the assault of a police officer in New York. They're intent on more coming in. Just that one image, just that one image of that man, that migrant, that illegal immigrant who came across the border and decided to assault with a whole group of other thugs to assault a police officer in New York, just that image alone ought to be enough for us to say enough's enough. Enough's enough. We, we really have to control our border. Guess what? From now on, the only people who come to America are legal immigrants. But this bill, this bill ignores the southern border. Almost a million people came over the border in the last three months. Almost a million people. And the Ukraine firsters are saying, we don't care about the southern border. We care about Ukraine first. And so the picture, the image that every American should have when they see all of these billions of dollars, $60 billion being shoveled out the door, being loaded on the plane, as you see these smiling politicians gleefully dropping off the pallets of cash over there, every American should remember the image of the young man giving America the bird after he assaulted a police officer. That's the image of this bill. That's the image of the Ukraine firsters, and nobody should forget about it. When we look at the problems that we face, we need to be fully aware that there is no pot of money. There is no surplus funds. There is no money to give to Ukraine. We don't have enough money to pay our bills. We do not have enough money to pay for we, we budget every year. In fact, the entire budget that Congress votes on is borrowed. Let me make that very clear. The entire budget, not a little bit of it, not half of it, the entire budget is borrowed. This would be like someone saying, well, yeah, I don't have any money for rent and I don't have a job. I'm going to borrow the money for my rent. That's essentially where we are. Two-thirds of spending up here is entitlements. All of the tax revenue from every source that comes into the federal government is only enough to pay for Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, and food stamps. Everything else is borrowed. And we don't vote on the entitlements. The entitlements are on autopilot. What do we vote on? We vote on what is military discretionary and non-military discretionary. one5 trillion dollars. So people talk about, you know, what is a trillion dollars? Well, we're running a $1.5 trillion deficit in one year. So in two years, $3 trillion is accumulated. How much is a trillion? How much is $3 trillion? If you take trillion in $1 bills and you stack them up, $3 trillion would reach to the moon. Two hundred and forty thousand miles high would be the stack of one dollar bills that's what we borrow in a two-year period but it's accelerating just in the last week 
The Federal Reserve Chairman said, the debt problem is urgent. Jamie Dimon, head of one of the big banks, Chase Morgan, says, the problem is urgent. Some of the economists and authors who wrote about the collapse in 2008 that predicted it coming have said, the debt is an urgent problem. So how does the Senate respond to some of the keenest minds in the country saying that we have a debt crisis? They respond by sending $100 billion of your money overseas. And it's not money we've got on hand. It's not cash on hand. We don't have any money. We are flat broke. People say it's for our national defense. We have these cold warriors who still believe in the domino theory. They say we are going to somehow be overrun by communists if we don't do this. But we have no money. There is no money to be sent over there. It all has to be borrowed. The title of this bill should be Ukraine first, America last, if they were being honest. 61% of Americans work paycheck to paycheck. Eight out of 10 Americans who make $50,000 don't have enough money on hand to pay their bills. If something goes wrong for them, you think they're excited about having their tax dollars shipped off to Ukraine? Ukraine first, America last. That's what this bill is about. It's about giving the middle finger to America. It's about giving the middle finger to every working class man and woman in America. It is an insult. It should be rejected. It should be soundly rejected. And we should get back to the business of this country, which is protecting our borders. We've got a real problem. Democrats didn't even seem to think there was a border problem until a few hundred of them were shipped to New York. And all of a sudden, they think there's a problem now. So they put them up in a fancy hotel and they spend millions of dollars coddling them. But mark my words, the American people are smarter than the elitist up here. The title of this bill is, and ought to be, if they were honest, America first, or Ukraine first, and America last. That's what the authors should have called this bill. What are your thoughts? How would you feel if you were a vet who served your country, multiple tours of duty in both Afghanistan and Iraq, you suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder, you find that you're not able to re-embed yourself within your own family because your emotions are not controllable, you scare your own family members, so you go out and live on the streets. The government doesn't recognize that, nor does it recognize any responsibility to help you. There could be a five-year waiting list before you get to see a veteran administration doctor for condition you may have, and only then will they see you if you can prove it came from a battle or your being in the uh, military. I did four documentaries on these people. We best guesstimate we have is around 900,000 are homeless. But the government says no. And, the, and what are you counting? Only those that are registered in uh, different uh, centers. Well, how many people can fit in one of those? They're overwhelmed. They're filled with crime, robberies. And then most homeless people don't want to go to a shelter unless the weather is so bad they have no choice. So now here you, you can't buy food. You have to go to a place called the Daily Bread in order to get a free meal. You can't shower. You can't go to the bathroom. So you have to go to the beach where you can at least use the facilities, take a shower, and come back. You've got to walk everywhere. You have no electricity, you have no refrigeration.
you have no health insurance. Once a year, they do a stand-down where about uh, thousands of vets go in silence. I was there filming 6 o'clock in the morning when the, when the fog raised. I saw all these people, total silence, because they were there to get some boots or underwear or some food or maybe a dental exam. Not a treatment, but at least to get a prescription to know what's wrong with them. Maybe they get a haircut. Things that you take for granted. And yet, all these people who sacrificed. I'm against the wars they fought, but I'm for them. They're human beings. And yet now they see people coming into the country, including gangs, <clears throat> major gangs from Venezuela, major gangs from Costa Rica, major gangs coming in MS-13 uh, from El Salvador, working together now, thousands of them. None of them stopped. They're living in hotels. We spend $6,000 per person to get them on a bus. Think of all the money being made by the subcontractors, billions of dollars. Who pays for this? Taxpayers in that community. So now your property tax is going up and your services are going down. Quality of life is diminished. That is not to challenge those who are coming legitimately, but let them come legitimately where they can be helped. And let them do that before they start their journey. We have no knowledge of who's coming in, but we do know terrorists are coming in because some have been caught. So who's going to take the blame when one day we have another 9-11 type of incident? Nobody will take the blame. Mayorkas, who was impeached yesterday, he won't take the blame. No, no one ever takes blame for anything in Washington. That should tell you something about the nature of the politicians. No celebrity in the media takes blame when they give misinformation. That's a problem. We have some really interesting commentaries coming up, some stuff that you probably are not aware of, but you will be because they're making the news. Before I get to that, this morning I was informed that my good friend David Boulay, that's B-O-U-L-A-Y, uh, had passed of a heart attack uh, up in Kent, Connecticut, his home. I don't have time now to go into it. I just want to set Tuesday night's program, Progressive Commentary Hour, aside to talk about what a unique, inspirational, wonderful human being David and his wife, Nicole, are. And uh, all the things shared over the years, over the decades of our friendship. I was so impressed with David's uniqueness that I did a documentary on him, award-winning documentary. I'm going to play that on Tuesday night. I'm going to be live and taking calls, so if any of you have had had experience with David Boulay, you'll have a chance to call in. I know a lot of you know David Boulay because of one of the last things we did together just before COVID, in fact, a month before COVID was announced, and then the flights, if you didn't get vaccinated, were restricted. And as he said, Gary, can you come down and do a, a lecture on the whole evolution of how you became the first gourmet vegan chef in America? I said, sure. Opened up a restaurant in 1970. Some of you Actually, we're there. A lot of you were there. The Fertile Earth. Across the street was my healthy store, and upstate was the Fertile Earth Farm. So I'd grow the stuff, make items, and then bring it in every morning. We served only dinner, but it was always packed from 4 o'clock to 11 o'clock. Get a whole meal, soup, salad, dessert, entree, a beverage, for $2.50. I'll tell you why on, on maybe Tuesday night. In any case, so David... Uh, had me in his uh, loft downtown, beautiful loft with food growing up the walls. It's just so, uh, so unique, so David. And uh, 
You were never bored when you were around David. I mean, he was always, his mind was always open, always questioning everything in life. So I did the lecture, and they were showing uh, shots up on the wall. And there were only about 40 people, because that's all could sit at these two long tables. And he had his staff making dishes, like they were seeing up on, my, on the wall of these gourmet original creations I made. And I finished, and I said, well, that's good for the 40 people here, <laughs> David. There are a lot more people need to know this. He said, Gary, we were streaming this. I said, really? I thought the microphone was just for this audience. He said, no. It was for the 1.2 million people at home. He had a huge following, and rightly so. So to one of the most unique human beings, most creative, uh, with such an endearing spirit of being positive, I wrote his uh, wife a condolence letter this morning. But David Boulay, America's greatest chef, uh, he's, he's past us. Also, I, I didn't mention Roberta Addy. Many of you remember her from WBAI, but more of you probably remember her and don't, don't connect the fact that she was the first person in the United States to create the milk from nuts. Start with almonds. And she didn't have a place to do it, so I let her use the kitchen in the health food store decades ago. And then there was a health food store uh, on 82nd Street, a block down from my corporate headquarters. And I went in there one day with some cheesecake. And I said, uh, would you like to try some cheesecake? Vegan, raw, cherry. And they loved it. And I said, I introduced them to Roberta. Roberta was a master chef though she never took the credit for her talent. She was self-effacing. She was very quiet. She never bragged about herself. But again, one of those human beings who were blessed to have in our presence, who there was never a boring moment, as she was on top of her game. For seven years, she was on BAI, following my show, Armand DeMille's show. But she was an author. She was a, she was a master chef. She made... A seaweed salad. To this day, I've never had a comparable seaweed salad. And uh, she always did it with a smile. She had deep insights into the human condition. She passed from terminal cancer. I asked her, do you want my help? But she was a person that lived many lives. And she was, she was able to pass through this one and say, Maybe the next one will be different. Um, someone you wouldn't know, Paul McDermott. He's one of those guys I was a friend with for 30 years. He was my first caretaker. He was one of those good old boys. Unassuming. Uh, any problem you had, he had a solution. He could fix anything, build anything. Wow, what a talent. Died of pancreatic cancer. And uh, had three friends die of pancreatic cancer from the last year. And then I didn't mention last year a friend of mine from a long time ago, Buzzy Lenhart. You probably, I don't, unless you're um, finish auto of the, if you're a lover of music, then you have heard of Buzzy. You may not have heard him sing songs, but a lot of people sang the songs he wrote. Here's one example. Let's play this one from Bette Midler. He wrote this. You got to have friends, and that's one of hundreds of songs that Buzzy wrote. I met him in the early 1970s. He was going through a challenging time. And he was a part of that hard rock lifestyle. 
But there was something different from him and all the other rock stars that I knew and, and some I befriended. Uh, he was unique in his creativity and how he looked at life. He always had this kind of innocence of a 10-year-old boy who's experiencing everything for the first time and is just in wonderment. And uh, he stayed at my place. I, have, I had four bedrooms in my apartment. I let him have one for almost three years. And uh, I'll tell you what kind of guy he was. <laughs> he was very, he was just spontaneous. What he would do, I get a call one night. I'm sitting there writing and it's, uh, it's around six o'clock and this is a chief of police over on the east side. He said, uh, you got a problem over here. And I said, what? He says, uh, you got all these people, thousands of people here. I said, I don't have anybody there. <laughs> what are you talking about? He says, well, they're all trying to get in your restaurant here, Gary's place. I said, that's unusual. You better get over here. So I got over there. There was a block long group of people going clear around the block. We're guessing maybe 5,000 people. So I'm thinking, what the heck? But they were very polite. And they were, you know, they kept to the side so everybody could walk by. They weren't disturbing anything. So I went inside and there up on the stage was, well, there was a who's who of uh, musicians, John Lennon, uh, Phoebe, and I knew, of course, I, I helped a lot, Phoebe Snow, um, and a lot of others, just all top people, and they were singing. And then um, Buzzy was there. He got them all together. And uh, that's what he could do. He, he, everybody loved him. He was friends with everyone. And uh, he just thought it'd be fun to celebrate veganism and the movement towards back to the whole earth. This is early 1970s, and we were doing that kind of thing then. That was buzzy. And you just, one day, you feel so blessed to have these people in your life, whatever period of time they're there, and take no one for granted. Well, so those are just some of the people who were in my life uh, I was close to and who are not. But boy, they left a lot of positive memories. So that's why I'm asking you, take nothing for granted. And if you have a friend, share energy and time with that friend. Don't take it for granted. Don't make other things in life more important than your friendships. Now, we're going to go to a serious topic right now that you're, we're just being made aware of. And we have Richard Gale on the line. And uh, actually, we have two issues to address. I'm going to just give you the highlights of this one. We can now prove absolutely 100% that, quote, this is from Margot Cleveland, the Federalist, quote, sources say U.S. intelligence agencies task foreign partners with spying on the Trump 2016 campaign. Quote, the U.S. intelligence community asks fellow members of the five eyes, five eyes are United States, Canada, Great Britain, um, let's see, uh, Australia, and New Zealand, that's, there's one other there I missed. Anyhow, those five eyes were asked to surveil Trump's associates and share the intelligence they acquired with all U.S. intelligence agencies. Okay, and the sources told a small team of independent journalists, reporters, who broke the story last night. Quote, the CIA had foreign allies spy on Trump team, triggering Russian collusion hoax, end quote. The journalists 
Michael Schallenberger and Matt Taibbi and Alex Guttentag uh, reported the top-line takeaway along with uh, several other key details. According to the authors, quote, multiple credible sources, the United States intelligence community, including the Central Intelligence Agency, illegally mobilized foreign intelligence agencies to target Trump advisors long before the summer of 2016, end quote. The article was published on Schellenberger's Substack, noted, quote, until now, the official story has been that the FBI's investigation began after Australian intelligence of officials uh, told U.S. officials that a Trump aide had boasted to an Australian diplomat that Russia had damning material about Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton, and quote, that probe dubbed Crossfire Hurricane launched on July 31st, 2016, although Special Counsel John Durham would later conclude that the Australian tip failed to justify the investigation into the Trump campaign. So what does this mean? Here's the, here's the takeaway message. Boy, is this, is this timely? Do you remember yesterday I talked about the CIA, a renegade state that shouldn't exist at all, and uh, what, what they did uh, illegally? And I highlighted all that with the investigation in 1974. Uh, the church hearings, wow. So here's what the deal is. There was campaign interference. There was election fraud. It was the Biden team, that includes the President Biden, excuse me, that was uh, uh, Vice President Biden, Hillary Clinton, uh, their, signed, uh, their special advisors, and Obama, working with the deep state, specifically to keep him from getting elected. So all that he went through, all that you heard from all these creepy people on mainstream media about Russia, 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 that was all fraud. It was the CIA, and they set it up for him to fail. And then, uh, then the different committees would do all the damage against him. Well, how about that? This is bigger than Watergate. This shows you how corrupt our entire political apparatus is in the United States. Just want to share that with you. There'll be more on this. We're going to be inviting uh, Matt Taibbi and uh, some of the other individuals who wrote this up. And mind you, these are all liberal people. You know, these are all Democrats. Uh, Schellenberger, Matt Taibbi. I don't know. I don't know Alex uh, Guttentag. I don't know. But here they're, they're challenging everything. And so indeed we do have this. Now we'll be doing a special report on new information on January 6th and, uh, that you haven't heard in video you haven't seen, showing that they just continue. When they fell with one, they continue with another. Wow. It just doesn't stop the corruption. But something more positive, very positive, and on the line we have uh, our scholar-in-residence and executive producer, Richard Gail and Richard, you've just completed a conversation with a major university. Do not mention the university or the uh, anti the uh, the anti aging center, but tell us the results from the person that actually invented the science behind this. Since this is the second time we've had this conversation on two separate studies, this is the results of our final study 
that was just completed six months ago, and all the blood workup's in, all the journals are in, all the metrics are in, including the methylation DNA test. Tell us what the results are, please. Yeah, so this is, uh, how are you, Gary? Uh, yeah, so I just had a conversation this morning with the director of this. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a private foundation, but it is sponsored by a major, large, large university, American University, and uh, where they design, develop these epigenetic clocks. Uh, these are these clocks that predict a person's biological aging and to map out their mortality risks. And this particular one that we've been working with is regarded as the state of the art. They've been these different uh, epigenetic clocks for, for some years now, but this is regarded the main one because it looks at more epigenetic markers on a person's DNA and it outperforms the other clocks to predicting a person's biological age, their lifespan, and the likely cause of mortality, including the various environmental variants and aging of specific tissues, and equally important to determine a person's lifestyle and take that into account. Um, you know, if you're drinking or smoking, eating a lot of such, fats or don't exercise so uh, we got the results from this uh, from the last uh, group that we did that was from spring uh, last spring um, and what we're looking at so um, in, in post treatment that means the post the regimen the protocol that everybody was on with the intermittent fasting plant-based diet the supplements exercise stress reduction uh, that they uh, overall they added 1.7 years to their um, to their biological aging um, based upon the individual's real chronological aging um, the, and th this is the average. I'm not going through all the individual ones. So this is the average of the group. Uh, it was 1.9 years. Um, and then based upon their predicted age, that was a 2.1 year uh, added to their to their predicted age. But most impressive was one of the particular um, parameters, metrics that is called DNA fit age. So this is a predictor of a person's physical fitness with respect to the baseline before they undertook this um, this protocol and the physical exercise regimen. And it's related to a person's adiposity. That's the amount of body fat, you know, how much lipids, including their triglycerides, cholesterol is stored in the body's tissues and creating a lot of stress on, on, on your epigenetic, your DNA. And so excessive adiposity is associated with accelerated aging. And here in our results, this is... Um, this is a new, this is a new one. This was not done in the earlier group, but there was an added six years to their life in terms of their physical fitness. Wow! 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 Never before have we seen this six years added to a person's life. Well, it shows that the protocols worked, the study worked, and 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 it, the results are pretty much the same in the other parameters of what they were before because we did not exclude some of the people who did not follow the protocols as they should have, but we had some outliers that were spectacular in how many extra years they added to their life, but you have to do an averaging. So now the next time around, we're going to exclude anybody that we cannot show followed the protocol completely. Therefore, we'll get even a higher uh, years added to people's life. Thank you very much, Richard Gale. Hey, you're welcome. And we'll be publishing it in the very near future. There are 14 authors on it, and we want to thank all the people and all the different foundations that contributed uh, their particular insights into this.
that also leads me to believe that it's time, probably next week I'll announce the next anti-aging study. Um, we don't have all the details yet. I don't know if I'm going to do it for two weeks or three. I'd ideally like to do it three, uh, but we'll find that if I can get a foundation to help us with some of the expenses like room, room and board, things that cost a lot of money. And uh, anyhow, that'll come at you. But that's just good news. So all of you are in there. Man, you've got extra years to live. How about that? By the way, some people keep calling the wrong telephone number. They're using that one with the app on it, and it keeps getting interrupted with commercials and everything. Call this number. There's no commercials on it. I'm going to give you two numbers. And this you can listen live anywhere. 605 605-562-5119. 605-562-5119. If you miss a show, call it on the archives, 631-359-9463. No, no commercials, no breaks, and easy to find. Now, because it, um, we're going to say goodbye to WBI, and because it is Valentine's Day, I came up with a couple things for Valentine's Day. First, I came up with um, some wonderful photographs. They'll be posted within the hour. I made a little, what you might call, for uh, want of a better um, statement, a Valentine's garden, because that's what it reminds me of. I started it three weeks ago. I finished it today. And I did it in such a way that if you like the photographs, you could do it yourself. You could scale it to your own backyard. But I just want to show you what you can do with just empty space to make that space beautiful, spectacular, something you'd see in a movie but you can create it yourself, all right? It'll be on GaryAndAll.com. I'll let you know uh, which, we'll, we'll have it up there. We'll have it targeted some way so you'll know which photographs to look at. They'll be under new photographs. But I also wanted to, uh, we put together a really nice package so you can give to yourself or you can give to a loved one. And uh, yeah, it's always nice when you're in a relationship to just recognize the time together in that relationship, okay? So this is going to be uh, up for the next couple of days, and here's what it is. Uh, I'm giving you several things. I'm giving you heavenly aloe. There's a very important reason why. I can't make claims about my heavenly aloe, but if you saw how it's grown organically, how it's, how it's cut it, three years, just the outer material leaves, how it's processed, the whole leaf, and all the hundreds of phytonutrients that are in it. And then if you Google healing capacity of aloe and the 200 different, uh, different nutrients that are in it, you'll see all these things aloe vera does. So that's one of the most important things you can take daily into your body is aloe vera. One capful, that's all. But then also I'm giving you my two most popular videos I've ever done. Love and sexual healing. And the sexual healing is not salacious. It's, it's not meant to be erotic. It's meant to explore how we can enhance our human sexuality. The fact that no age should be an age where you suddenly turn it off and keep it off, uh, where you can be passionate and creative and, and share your energy. So these are two, and the loved one is really uh, phenomenal because of all the great people I have in it who I'm Bruce Lipton, all these, all these Grayson, 
all the people in it who are giving you their insights into what's missing in our lives and what power love has in healing and uh, in infusing a spirit of cooperation and, and the ability to love life. So those are the two documentaries. Plus, you're going to get the Gary Nall Ageless Answer Miracle Cream. By the way, you don't need a lot of it. Clean your skin before you put it on and just look at the difference. I'm hearing phenomenal results. I'm seeing results on myself, too. And uh, I don't have time to go into all of its wonderful benefits, the three special patented formulas that I was able to get. I created the whole protocol except for these three. I didn't create these three. Other scientists who did clinical studies on each one, they created this. But you're getting patented lysosomal preparations derived from the stem cells of a very rare Swiss apple, and it's been shown to extend the skin's longevity. Yeah, and to prevent and delay and reverse wrinkling. Again, you have to be patient. And according to Harvard researchers, skin aging is a type of wounding whereby the skin's own stem cells are no longer able to preserve the skin's strength and thickness and elasticity and function. But the lysosomal preparation that I have in this replaces this loss, thereby regenerating new cell growth. And this proprietary extracellular matrix promoting peptone, uniquely derived from the plant and marine kingdom, nourishes the skin cells and stimulates the production of soluble elastin as a defense against the loss of elasticity, which contributes to sagging and wrinkling. So look at just look at the different places you got on your body, your, your feet, around the feet, the uh, heels, the elbows, uh, the creepy skin on the knees and around them, uh, the hands, the neck, the face. And you put it on at night before you go to bed. Just wash up, take a shower, and put it on. And massage it in for about 60 seconds. Okay? And you'll see the difference. You'll see the three types of collagen, the, the fibronectin, the hyaluronic acid, and the laminin-5. All these epidermal matrix are in there. I mean, I've got stuff nobody has. Nobody, nobody, nobody anywhere can duplicate what I've done because I know that they would have to charge a 1000 or $1,500. You're getting this whole package, Live, Love, and Thrive special. You're getting the Aegis Answer, 4.5 ounces. The average $400 and $500 jar out there, top of the line, those are charging $500 for 2.7 ounces. I've got 4.5 ounces, almost twice as much, plus the heavenly aloe, plus the sexual healing, plus the love. And, uh, and all that's in here. So you're getting a 60% discount, 60% off. All this. It's only $135. $340 value. Okay? So give a call if you'd like this. Wonderful gift for yourself. You deserve it. And a gift for someone else who will appreciate what you're giving him. Call this number, 877-627-5065. That's 877-627-5065. Or you can go by and see Neil in the Vitamin Closet at 35 West 35th Street, top floor, Monday to Saturday, noon to 8 p.m. 
and pick it up in person, or you can call at 646-926-5430 or order online. That's it for today, everyone. Have a nice day. We'll see you back here tomorrow.